Buildings are iconic. They carry strong historical value and are remembered for their design and their architecture. Church buildings, on the other hand, were initially built to convey our religious beliefs, traditions, orthodoxy, and a lot of them were distinct because it was regarded as a sanctuary, a sacred place where people would come and feel safe. And buildings were respected because they conveyed strong values, morals, and ethics to society. So we would always identify the church building by its long steeple, with the cross at the top, and the stained glass windows. And all of us knew that that was a place where people would go to worship God, but also a place where they found great comfort and strength. Today, buildings are used to facilitate our gatherings, our coming together, and it's generally called the house of God. And we would regard it as a holy city. We would regard it as the mountain of the Lord, the heavenly Jerusalem. God no longer lives in buildings, but he lives in a people that are built upon certain foundations that are strong. And this is what we come into buildings like this to learn, to indwell the spirit of God who configures us to be the very house in which we come to worship him. So we all know that Solomon's building had a plan. His father drew the plan, David. It was financed by his dad and eventually the building was put together. And all of Hebrew life centralized around the temple. Everything was dedicated to that, the celebration of the feast, the gathering of the nation. And it was a momentous occasion for every Jew that whenever they would go into this wonderful place called Solomon's Temple or the Temple of God, it was a time for great celebration and festivity. Jesus Christ is now our temple. We gather to him. And lest we forget, he is the foundation upon which the church is built. He is the head of the church which is the body of Christ. Historically, church buildings have also been at the front of socio-economic issues. Whenever there were situations within communities, be it famine, be it flood, all kinds of situations that communities go through, the church was looked at as a place of great refuge, a place of shelter and safety, of comfort. It was known for its compassion, for its mercy, and for its kindness to the community. I would like to make reference to a portion of scripture from where I would like to share a few thoughts. From Numbers chapter 35 verse 9 to verse 13, it is in this portion that Moses was commanded by the Lord to dedicate what was called cities of refuge. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge. For you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. There shall be cities for refuge 
for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. So these six cities were appointed on either side of the Jordan. The book of Numbers 35 verse 14 will tell you that. And the purpose for which these cities were appointed was so that the manslayer may have refuge from the avenger until the congregation could pass judgment on the matter. These cities of refuge were for specific people but something that I would like to highlight for a few minutes. They shall be a place of refuge, verse 15 tells us, for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. So here are the three types of people, the children of Israel, the sojourner, and the stranger would be able to go into any of these appointed cities and sort of find refuge or get justice for whatever act was carried out. Now, the church is the holy city as we know as described in Revelation 21 verse 2. And within the family of God, you encounter these three kinds of people. The children of God will also be called the sons of God. And those who can prove their genealogy, those who could prove that they come from a specific lineage, would be called the children of Israel. And they could run into this place and seek refuge. I'm not going to go through the names, it's going to take too much of time. You see, when buildings of this nature are constructed, there's a specific divine architecture that is necessary for those that come into the building. It is called understanding that we are the sons of God. So while we have a wonderful edifice, if you do not get the divine architecture right, of understanding that when we come into places like this, over a period of time, you will become children or sons of the house. More especially, you are sons of God by regeneration, by the new birth. And because you are sons of God, you would enter places like this so that you could be formed into the image and into the likeness of Jesus Christ the Son. This was the labor of Paul, that everyone would be formed into the image of Christ. So the building has this great potential to attract people to woo people, sometimes even to seduce them, so that they would come into environments like this. But understand that when they enter such an environment, there is a certain way in which God builds, the way in which he builds families, the way in which he is building on the earth now. The last 25 years have brought to us what has come to be known an apostolic reformation season. And at the forefront of that, is the doctrine of sonship, of understanding that we are sons of God. So when you come into a building like this, yes, it is a city of refuge, but there is a specific divine architecture to which you must align yourself with. And this is where this 
first category of people called the children of, of Israel would manifest. So we have a heavenly father, but we also have representative fathers. And when we come into the house of God, you must recognize that there is a specific grace within that house that God would convey through one whom he sends. And when you come into that environment, and for those of you that are part of this local church and building with Pastor Justin and Melanie, may the spirit of sonship come upon you, that you would be able to connect with the one whom God sends. Otherwise, buildings just become desolate. Without the fabric, without the undergirding, without the strong foundation of understanding that we are the children of God, that we are the sons of God, that we have a heavenly father. If that is not conveyed to those who are here, then you'll get the next category, which are just strangers. And strangers are people who are also regarded as foreigners. They have no rights and no inheritance. Remember, this is how Ruth entered Bethlehem. She was a foreigner. She was regarded as a stranger. Under the guidance of Naomi, she would have learned all the practices of the Jewish people, the traditions, the feasts. Even during the time of the barley harvest, the wheat harvest, she would have known that there were specific feasts that were celebrated. But she had to come under the guidance of someone to understand that you are no longer a stranger. This is why at the end of the story, it is said of her that you are valued more than seven sons. Because she moved from strangerhood, if there is such a word, to sonship. And began to embrace all that Naomi had conveyed to her as one that was giving oversight. And the words that Naomi used was, I am seeking security for you. And the security was not in Naomi. The security was in Boaz. Jesus Christ is our Boaz. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one that has paid the ransom for us. So coming into environments like this, don't remain a stranger. You know, when you meet foreigners, it's quite easy to identify them. Because number one, they have a language barrier. It's very difficult for them to understand the language. Secondly, we drive on the left side of the road. You'll find that it's very difficult for them to drive because... They come sometimes from areas where they drive on the right side of the road. Thirdly, you will find they have a struggle using their money because their money is foreign currency. It doesn't hold any value here. Now, if you take all of those things that I'm talking about, they don't know your language. They don't know your currency. They don't know the laws. They don't know the spiritual laws that govern the house. So don't remain a stranger when you come in. It was a song that was sung in 1966 by Frank Sinatra. It's called Strangers in the Night. We have a lot of strangers in the night. They're in the dark. They don't know what is happening in the house of God. And they choose to remain as foreigners. But you can be a Ruth that can say, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That's the kind of relationship you want to see people entering. The third kind of individual that could come into the place of refuge was called the sojourner. This is not a dweller. This is someone who's passing by, who's seeking temporary asylum. Such individuals have no intent of staying, but just want to move around. They are the curious George, if you want to call them that. They will not covenant, but want the benefits 
of covenant. They will enjoy the benefits of the house. And their intent is to seek their own interests and to move on. And many churches have those kinds of people. They are passers-by. They're there for one or two months and eventually leave. We don't want to see sojourners and strangers in the kingdom. We want to see them come into the fullness that God has planned for them, which is sonship, which is for them to know God as their father, which is for them to manifest their kingdom sonship on the earth. So for those of you that are part of the local church, don't be a stranger, don't be a sojourner. Come into your sonship. Understand the divine architecture that is being built. I know Pastor Justin and his wife, they understand this language very well. He's been on the journey for a long time and he, he knows what it is. He teaches it. He, he trains all of you. I know many of you have been through the ABC curriculum already and all of this is taught extensively within your household. And I say to you, grab hold of it. It will be a blessing to your life. It will transform and change who you are. Now, while I said all of that, remember that these cities were appointed for seeking justice and righteousness. That when people came in, they also were looking for justice. They were looking for righteousness. The Bible tells us in Psalms 89 verse 14 that the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. Mercy and truth go before your face. Psalms 89 verse 14. The throne is a place of administration and the foundation is righteousness and justice. Now when a church is located in a specific community, one of the things that God looks for is a righteous standard by which he would judge that community. When a church is set up with this kind of throne mentality, where righteousness and justice is the foundation of that throne. It becomes a place that is a real blessing to that community. Consider the story of the Good Samaritan in the book of Luke chapter 10. And you have to look at it from both these terms that I'm using. One is righteousness, the other is justice. Righteousness was administered when he bandaged his wounds. He poured in the oil and the wine, put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, paid for another two days, and said, when I return, I will pay whatever else is owing. That is the full story of the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. That is your positional righteousness that he has given you. But remember, the man was a victim of a crime. That thieves, and while, while we will look at the Christological view in terms of the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He came in the form of man and came to us. He poured his oil and wine into us and he saved us. But there's also the justice aspect. That the man was a victim of a crime. That he fell amongst thieves. He was beaten. So the church has to also be at the forefront. Not only of righteousness but also of justice. Communities look for that. And as this church is located in this particular, this particular area, we have to also know that this building is a representation of Zion principles. And Zion principles are founded on righteousness and justice. 
Isaiah 35, verse 5 to 6. It says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So what does Zion do? Zion brings the wisdom and the knowledge of God that would result in stability in certain areas that will cause the most volatile of situations to come under the jurisdiction of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord. Zion brings salvation and operates in the fear of the Lord. When a church is gathered with that kind of mentality, a Zion mentality, that wants to administrate justice and righteousness, when it gathers in a building that is aligned and formed and patterned with Zion principles, certain things happen. And Psalms 132 verse 13 tells us, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And listen, I will abundantly bless her provision. And I say to you, if you are a church that would administrate justice and righteousness, you will never need provision. God will always supply it. He will always make it available to you. He says, I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe their priests with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But upon himself his crown shall flourish. So such a people who are chosen by the Lord become the dwelling place of God. Their provision will be blessed. Their poor will be satisfied. Their priests will be clothed. There will be joy and they will become a governing people that will grow and multiply. Now, church buildings have become modern in its design, technologically advanced, impressive in its decor, and exhibit the excellence of God, which we all must do. But we will do well to remember its purpose. That those who entered this space have come so that the secular can become sacred. They come into environments like this so that the poor can become rich, so that the weak can become strong, so that the foreigner can become a citizen, that the foolish can be made wise, that the forsaken can be accepted, that the sick can be healed, the hungry can be fed, and the poor will receive justice. That the orphan will become a son. But more especially, that the crowd will become a disciple. That the mandate that the Lord has given unto us, that we should go into all the nations of the world and make disciples and baptizing them, forming them into the image and the likeness of Christ. While we have the technology and the decor and the excellence, we will do well to remember why we put up such buildings. That this is why God places us in certain vicinities and locations to bring transformation. That the wilderness will become a pool of water. That the briar tree will become a myrtle tree. That something will turn overnight in the lives of people. Through the administration of the power of preaching, 
and the power of the word, the demonstration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as the word is being preached, that people's lives will be transformed in an instant. This is why we enter the sanctuary. This is why people run into the house of God. They come in. But today, people come in because you got aircon. Because we have lovely cushioned seats and we got a beautiful music team and we have the latest advanced technology. And listen, I am all for the excellence of God. We're nowhere near Solomon's temple in terms of excellence. I'm all for that. But the moment we shift our focus, and I can tell you this from experience, buildings can change your focus. It will change your budget. Before I got a building, I had a lot of money. After I got the building, every week I get a message, Pastor, the pump is not working. Pastor, the electricity tripped. My dear friend Albert, who is our maintenance man, he loves me so much, he calls me every day. But oftentimes when I am alone with our Father, I have to keep reminding myself of what our divine purpose is, why God gives us resources, why does He place facilities in our hands, why does He give us all of that. The next point is for the effective use of buildings. We must know what is in the house. Like Elisha asked the woman, what do you have in your house? And she said, I just have a little jar of oil. But she had something greater. She had sons. When there's oil in the house, which is the anointing, and you have sons, and you, you value what you have, or oh, you'll collect a lot of vessels. And those vessels will receive the resource of that house, which is the oil or the anointing that is upon that house. You have to know what is in your hand, as Moses was asked, what is in your hand? You also got to know what is in the crowd. Sometimes there's just five loaves and two fish, but it is sufficient enough to meet the need of an entire community just because you know what is there. So buildings are useless if we don't know what we have, if we don't know what is in our hand, what is the resource in our house? What is the value of those that are around us? The grace configuration of the house, listen carefully, determines the usefulness of the building. Otherwise, you've got something just to admire. But when you know the grace configuration upon sons that are part of the house, and you begin to, to fit them in as living stones into that building process, or the building takes on a different kind of form because of its usefulness. We must know, and this is very important for us to understand, that the house can become desolate, a place of ruins, if we do not honor the one whom God sent. We should know who is the hen that is gathering the chicks. We should know, as you said today, blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. You must recognize a holy man of God. One who is passing by you daily. That means they are faithful. And when you recognize such a person, 
you will build an upper room. You will recognize as Saul's servant did, that whatever this man says, meaning Samuel, his words come to pass. Nothing falls to the ground. Honor is recognition and placing value upon those whom God sends. Know that the place has no value without the one that God sends. No value. It won't have resource. It won't have provision. It won't have vision without the one God sends. There is one sent by God to oversee the flock. The vision and the provision must be administrated by the one whom God sends. It is the grace that God dispenses when he gives men as gifts to us. The dynasty, the longevity, the expansion, the growth is incumbent upon the church, recognizing the one whom God sends. If that is not so, desolation will come upon our house. It is so important to know that while you enjoy this beautiful building, it is not possible without one that God sends. Comes with grace, enabled with grace, and the primary function is to feed the flock. They have lips that bring knowledge so that the church is not ignorant. As Malachi 2 verse 7 says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. We are into a building process called family. And you have to understand that for that family structure to be accurately configured, there's only one voice that God sends over the house. When you recognize that voice, I can guarantee you, your house will not be desolate. When you take care and recognize the grace upon that individual. To this house, it is Pastor Justin and Melanie. And all of us must recognize that. You must recognize that the provision for this building is because God sent someone with a specific grace. So, don't let the house move into desolation because we do not recognize the one whom God sent. I encourage you with these words, Pastor Justin, Melanie, and to all of us that are part of the Zoe Community Church, it has been my great privilege to be a part of this journey. I've seen your faith. I've seen you take great steps of faith so that God could bring to completion this beautiful edifice. We're going to pray a prayer of dedication. I actually wrote down this prayer as I was preparing so would you, I hope you can forgive me if I read it. I wanted to convey it the way I felt the Spirit of God was giving it to me. We sense you, Lord. We thank you for moments like this, that we can gather together to celebrate gifts that you have sent to the body of Christ in the form of Pastor Justin and his wife, Melanie. We have gathered to dedicate this building to the glory of God. We recognize the spiritual legacy that has been passed down to Pastor Justin and his family through his family line. We acknowledge their perception of the times and seasons of God. And we ask that as spiritual overseers, they would not be blind or deaf, 
but will see it clearly and hear the voice of God so that they can lead this flock. We thank you for the provisions you have made to Pastor Justin, to Melanie, to the Zoe Community Church for the completion of this beautiful edifice. We know that you have provided through the generosity of many individuals, several ministries, and may they receive their reward for their contribution to see the completion of this building. Now, Father, we humbly ask that you would fill this building with your manifest presence. Amen. That every gathering will be validated by the immensity of your presence. As this building is dedicated to the glory of God, we humbly ask that those who enter these doors would experience the double doors of Cyrus. That you will knock on the door of their hearts. That when the word is preached that Jesus Christ, the door of the sheep, will draw people into this fold. That no one would miss the door of opportunity to make peace with God and with man. We command your ministering angels and angelic hosts to surround this place, to protect it from the wickedness of evil men and from criminal activities. May your banner be raised over this building to make it a standard to the community and to its citizens. We pray that this place would be configured upon Zion principles that would produce a people of great wisdom, a people of influence and a people of nobility. As Jeremiah 22, 3 and 4 tells us, Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness, and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings, who will sit on the throne of David. We ask that this church will fulfill the mandate you have given us, that we should go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And you said this, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Your promise is that you would be with us when we fulfill this mandate. We dedicate this house, Pastor Justin, Melanie, his children, all those that are in his loins. We bless this household to be a shining light, a city on a hill. And may the Zoe life of God be manifest through your sons. Amen. Amen.